Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Just hours after a snowstorm blankets central Pennsylvania, a devoted mother and Sunday school teacher is gunned down. It was a single shot and hit her in the heart, killing her. The community was shocked. I don't know why anyone would want to kill her. Investigators fear this is no ordinary killer. I'm sure that he was familiar with firearms and probably a hunter, just because of the way he shot her. He went to extremes to try to misdirect the police. He was trying to use these aspects of weather to his best advantage. But one spring thaw promises to change everything. He tried to control the evidence and the investigation, but he couldn't control Mother Nature. Bordered by the Susquehanna River and nestled in the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains lies Williamsport, Pennsylvania, a quaint rural city about 130 miles northwest of Philadelphia and just over 300 miles east of Lake Erie. Williamsport, Pennsylvania is considered to be a perfect location for a lot of people to live. It's in between New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. You can get to a major city within three and a half hours. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's a nice area to live in if you're into the outdoor stuff. A lot of people do recreation on the river. A lot of hunters here, fishermen. But there's a price to pay for the beauty when it comes to the winter time. We have sometimes the most wretched winters. Winters here can be really tough. January is typically the coldest month with the average temperature being 26.6 degrees and it can get to zero or well below zero and there's also frequent storms. They're fueled by moisture over the Great Lakes and the polar jet stream. So you have Arctic air mass going over Lake Erie and that can dump very heavy snow and also help with that setup for freezing rain. Although the average yearly snowfall is 36 inches, locals are accustomed to seeing twice as much. We get a good bit of snow, we get a good bit of ice, and starting sometime around December through April, you just don't know what you're gonna run into. And in the early morning hours of Friday, January 15, 1999, a major storm system rolls through the area dropping five to eight inches of snow and sleet. What made this storm different was the amount of freezing rain and sleet that we had. By the time the storm ended at 10 a.m., not only was there a half a foot of snow on the ground, but there was a heavy glaze of ice over the roads. Setting the stage for one of the coldest and most calculated killings 
the community has ever seen. days after the storm, the Lycoming County 911 dispatcher receives an urgent call from a resident named Dwayne Van Fleet. He says he just found his neighbor, 47-year-old Miriam Illes, sprawled out in a pool of blood in her home. She hadn't been to church that morning, and they were concerned. So the guy walked around the back of the house and looked through the, the kitchen window and could see her laying in the area between the kitchen and the living room. Police and first responders quickly arrive. There is no forced entry. All the doors are locked. They don't know how long she's been laying there. But when they reach her, they realize she's gone. Miriam has what appears to be a bullet hole in her back. Miriam and Zambielis was born on April 15, 1951, in Helena, Arkansas, the youngest of six children. Her Lebanese-American parents raised her devoutly Catholic. Mary Ellis was a kind, gentle person who came from an incredible family background, strong family ties, very spiritual. Miriam Ellis was so warm. She was quick to smile, quick to laugh, quick to embrace, loved people, loved the children. Her mother, who worked as a nurse, instilled in Miriam a desire to help others. So after high school, Miriam entered the healthcare system and eventually left home to train as a cardiovascular perfusionist at St. Louis University. A perfusionist nurse runs the heart and lung machine during cardiac surgeries. So she had a very important job. At the time, Miriam worked alongside a bright up-and-coming resident surgeon, 34-year-old Richard Illis, who was from York, Pennsylvania. Miriam caught his eye while they worked side by side in the operating room. I remember she was very proud of Richard in terms of his professional background and expertise. He was a brilliant, surgeon, very talented individual. A dynamic team. The two dated for about a year before tying the knot in 1992. A year later, they welcomed the birth of their son, Richie, in October 1993. Richie was her whole world, and she was a wonderful mother. She doted on Richie. The following year, Richard moved his family to his native home of Pennsylvania. He was hired by the local hospital in sport to head up the heart surgery team, and Miriam worked there for some period of time. As chief of cardiothoracic surgery, Richard was making a generous salary. So when their son turned two, Miriam chose to retire. Richie was her life, and it was very important that she spend as much time with him as possible. 
She would be at any gatherings. She taught Sunday school. She wanted to be in every part of his life. But on a freezing winter night on January 15, 1999, all of that would come to an end. After finding the body of Miriam Ellis with a bullet hole in her back, Pennsylvania state troopers are called in to help investigate. In the crime unit, there's probably eight or 10 guys most of the time. Just about all of them were there that day. As police trudge through the snowy crime scene, they'll soon discover clues to a bizarre and complicated case. Will the Pennsylvania climate give them the tools they need to catch a diabolical killer. There is no doubt the weather was incredibly important to help solve this case. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In January 1999, two days after a winter storm dumps up to eight inches of snow in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, 47-year-old Miriam Illis is found murdered in her home. The police have their work cut out for them. You have almost a foot of snow on the ground if you include what fell earlier in the month. And worst case scenario is that snow is hiding evidence and it's so cold that the snow is not gonna melt anytime soon. Pennsylvania state troopers examine the scene. 
Miriam has what appears to be a bullet hole in her back. She's laying face down with the cordless handset phone up by her shoulder region. The battery is dead. They don't have any idea how long ago this has happened. I discovered the, the window, actually, with a bullet hole through it in the kitchen window. There was glass and chips inside on the sink. Which tells police that whoever shot her, shot her through the window from the outside. A search of the home shows no signs of forced entry and nothing appears to be disturbed. There was no indication that anyone had tried to come in and, and rob her. Everything was in place. So investigators head outside, and the view from the other side of the window is also revealing. I was relatively sure when I went outside and looked at the windows that it was a, a shot from a distance. There were no powder residue or anything else visible on the window, which you would expect. Her windows were clean. Behind the house is, is the yard, and it was pristine. There were no footprints, no nothing. The only place there were footprints was right next to the house where the, the gentleman that had found her had gone. And I think probably one or two other troopers that were there ahead of me had walked right next to the house, but the rest of the lawn was bare. Then another trooper calls out that he's found something by the creek beyond the property line. That's 30 yards away. There were footprints down there. And you could see where somebody had walked. You could tell it was a really big tennis shoe. They follow the snowy tracks up to an embankment with an unobstructed view of the house. Investigators can tell this is exactly where the shooter stood to make their shot. The left foot is extended forward in a perfect shooter's stance, using the tree to brace a rifle. It's a straight shot to Miriam's kitchen window. 73-foot shot. All of the snowy prints appear to belong to the same person, measuring 13 inches long. This was a wet and heavy snow, but it was just the right amount because sometimes the tracks can become indistinct if the snow is too wet or if it's too deep. And the other thing they had going for them is we didn't have another snowstorm that covered up all the tracks. As troopers search the surrounding area, they make another crucial discovery in the snow near where the gunman stood. There was a cigarette butt. The odd thing about it, it didn't appear as though it had been lit when it was thrown down there because there was no snow melted at the end of it. And the cigarette butt was pretty much dry. Police continue following the gunman's tracks down the embankment and the trail leads them toward a neighborhood tennis court. That's when they notice the snow inside the fenced-in court is disturbed. On the tennis courts, beyond this very, very tall fence is a black object. All the snow around it has not been touched. When they go in and retrieve it, it's a homemade silencer, which would muffle the shot so that no neighbors would hear it. They can see it's made with a variety of materials, including PVC, wire, crushed acoustical tile, and duct tape. Investigators also find three hairs in the silencer, which they send off 
for DNA testing along with the cigarette butt. Police suspect the gunman threw the silencer over the fence as they fled. But why? They didn't find the weapon, but the silencer left behind was uh, kind of an odd clue. Sometimes a killer will leave some kind of piece of evidence because they want police to find it. They're almost, in a sense, teasing. As police continue to follow the snowy prints, they eventually reach a paved road and disappear. There was snow on the road, but it was all slushy, and car tracks basically obliterated them. But the evidence revealed by the snow is unmistakable and gives police an idea of who they're dealing with. I'm sure they were familiar with firearms and probably a hunter just because of the way they had their feet planted and so on. To make that shot from that far away, this had to be somebody that was an experienced marksman. As investigators continue searching the snowy crime scene, residents wonder if Williams Point could have a killer sniper on their hands. There was panic and fear. Was there somebody on a rampage that was randomly shooting people through their windows? That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Two days after a winter storm, Pennsylvania State Police are continuing to search the property of Miriam Illis after discovering she was shot in the back through her kitchen window. Thanks to the cold temperatures preserving the snowfall is about eight inches, investigators were able to find the gunman's shoe prints and exactly where he stood when he made that fatal shot. Because it was a single shot from 73 feet away, through a kitchen window, the shooter had to be an expert marksman.
State troopers focus on interviewing Miriam's neighbors, starting with the man who called 911. Mr. Van Fleet appears distraught as he explains that he and his wife knew Miriam from church, where she taught Sunday school. When she didn't show up, that's when friends really became concerned. She was a very dedicated person to her church. Mr. Van Fleet cannot reach her by phone either, which is equally strange. So he went over to her house. He says that's when he saw her body through the window and called police. Investigators ask if Miriam lived with anyone, and Van Fleet explains that she moved in last March after separating from her husband, Richard. Miriam had been living alone. She did have partial custody of their five-year-old son, but she was alone in the home. Van Fleet says he spoke with the doctor by phone on Friday night around 7 p.m. He says that Richard had their son with him and he was planning a trip to visit family that evening. Van Fleet says he has no idea who would shoot Miriam. I mean, uh, people at the church thought she was saintly. Yeah, she was quite popular amongst people. She had a lot of friends. And when police canvassed the neighborhood, none of Miriam's neighbors recall hearing or seeing anything unusual. But learning what happened to Miriam has the normally sleepy community now on edge. People were very scared. The first thought was, do we have a killer on the loose here? Is there someone that's going to go around and do this to other homes? As police wrap up the crime scene, Dr. Illis arrives at the house. Richard pulls up with his son, Richie, and the police tell him that Miriam is dead. He just fell apart. He got very upset. He was sobbing. It was a very dramatic scene. The son, Richie, was very upset. It was very tough for a child, especially someone that young, to comprehend why your mom all of a sudden isn't there anymore. Although visibly grief-stricken, Richard agrees to answer a few questions from police. He admits that he and Miriam were legally separated and shared custody of Richie. According to Richard, Yes, they were going through a divorce. He got Richie on the weekends. Miriam had him during the week. Richard says the last time he saw Miriam was on Friday the 15th, when he picked up Richie around 5 o'clock. He says at 9.30 p.m., he drove his son south to visit family. But he was not able to make his destination that night due to the inclement weather, and they ended up staying at a hotel at about 1 a.m., Richard says that the next day they made it to his family's home and they just got back into town. Investigators will need to double check his statement, but for now, they let him take Richie home. Police wanted to interview the boy um, about the whole situation, but he was very distraught, as any young child would be. To police, it appears Miriam was killed sometime after 5 p.m. Friday night, but before her Sunday school class that morning. They hope an autopsy will tell them more. The next day, Miriam's autopsy is complete. She had died of a single gunshot wound to the heart. 
The pathologist finds that it was a small caliber bullet that must have split when it came through the window. She had two pieces of shrapnel in her from that split bullet. This was a 22 Hornet, which is a 22 caliber, but it's a little bigger and a lot faster and a lot more power. She was probably only alive maybe a matter of minutes after she was actually shot. Unfortunately, the pathologist can't pinpoint her time of death, only that it occurred in the last 48 hours. But the precision of the shot and the type of bullet used confirms what police suspect. It wasn't some random thing. Somebody wanted to kill her. Police dig deeper into Miriam's life to find out who would want the Sunday school teacher dead. Why was Miriam Illis a target of, of a crime? It just blowed people's minds. Who would want to kill such a sweet Christian lady? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On January 15th, 1999, a snowstorm came through dumping eight inches of snow on the ground and no one had any idea that this would play an integral role in the investigation of Miriam Illis' murder. Clues in the snow behind Miriam Illis' home 
have led Pennsylvania state troopers to believe she was shot and killed sometime after 5 p.m. on January 15th by an experienced gunman. Investigators recall a cordless handset found near her body, so they pull her phone records. Shortly after 10 o'clock that Friday evening, she had talked with a friend who lived out of state. They trace the number to a woman in Montana named Mary, who confirms that she spoke with Miriam around 10 p.m. on Friday night for about 25 minutes. They were chatting pleasantly. Then Mary heard a crash, and it sounded like broken glass. She heard Miriam say, oh my God, and then her voice trailed off into moaning and then went silent. The phone went dead. She thought it was a, a storm that had cut it off. She tried calling back several times unsuccessfully. Storms obviously affect power and phone lines. So you get a heavy snow that can help you know, trees sag onto some of these lines and disrupt service. But if you factor in some wind as well, that can take trees down, which will take power lines down as well. But in this case, it's obvious what happened. Mary heard the precise moment that Miriam got shot, 10.37 p.m. The phone call is a pivotal discovery, but police need more. So for the next couple weeks, investigators sit down with those closest to Miriam, who are overcome with sadness by the news. It was devastating. This is a person who I'd been working with for the past year, good person, wonderful family. And to hear that that happened just, just broke my heart. After speaking with several of her friends, police learned Miriam had no boyfriend. But they're surprised to learn that Miriam's divorce wasn't as amicable as Richard had led on. Everybody they speak to mentions how ugly and contentious the divorce proceedings have become. They learned that the trouble started almost a year ago when Richard suddenly filed for divorce. She was blindsided. She had no idea this was coming. Shortly after they separated, it became very clear that he was having an affair. She was devastated. Miriam didn't want a divorce. She was very religious and felt that divorce was not something that should be in the cards. And Miriam wouldn't budge. Under Pennsylvania law, a two-year separation was required in order to secure a divorce without the consent of the other party. And during that period of time, he had an obligation to support Miriam. She was hoping for a reconciliation, but Richard wanted no part of that. She moves out of the house with Richie. The court ordered Richard to pay Miriam $12,000 a month in spousal and child support. And he had no problem voicing his anger. Richard has been overheard calling Miriam the evil And he said life would be better if she wasn't around or if she was put out of the way. And according to Leslie Smith, Miriam became frightened of her soon-to-be ex. Richard had told her that he would kill her if she got a dime or if she got Richie. Everybody realized at that time the only person who had a motive to kill her was her husband. Investigators want to speak with the good doctor again. 
investigators reach out to Richard, and he agrees to meet them at his attorney's office for another round of questions. They confront him about the statements they've received from his friends, colleagues, neighbors. Richard admits he and Miriam's divorce had been complicated with disagreements over money and custody of their son. But he claims it had all been settled and they were both moving on. And he said he had plenty of money to go around. Child and spousal support was not a problem. He, of course, told them his alibi. He was out of town. He had nothing to do with it. Investigators ask him again about his trip the weekend she was killed. Richard says he left Friday night around 9.30 p.m. with Richie to visit family in Downingtown, about 140 miles south but he says driving conditions were much worse than he expected on Route 15. After a weather event like the one early in the day with the heavy snow, the freezing rain and the sleet, you can still have that glaze of ice over the roads. It's called black ice. It's transparent and it's nearly impossible to see at night. So even the most experienced driver could have some trouble. Richard says he decided to stop at a fast food place at 10.30 p.m. in Lewisburg, just 24 miles down. And then he only made it as far as Harrisburg, another 60 miles. He said the weather was so bad that he had to get a hotel room. And that was about 1 in the morning. Next morning, he wakes up and drives the rest of the way to Downingtown. Richard gives them a hotel receipt that shows he checked in at 12.57 AM, just like he said. But investigators aren't so sure. And when asked about weapons, Richard willingly admits that he hunts and owns several shotguns and rifles. Dr. Ellis grew up hunting and doing those kind of activities, which are typical of a lot of people in the, in the central part of Pennsylvania. In fact, he said he has a large collection of guns, but being a gun owner does not make you guilty of murder. Investigators also note that Richard's shoe size doesn't match the gunman's prints in the snow. Richard wears a size nine and a half, nowhere near 13 inches in length. Even though Richard agrees to provide them with both hair and blood samples, police think something isn't adding up. Police descend on Richard's home with a search warrant in hand. They comb the property for evidence and seize multiple items in the basement and workshop, including material like PVC, wire, crushed acoustical tile, and duct tape, the same that made up the homemade silencer. However, these items are not unusual items to have in a workshop. They're common household materials it's circumstantial proof at best. And the murder weapon is still nowhere to be found. So police decide to put Richard's alibi to the test. And as winter turns to spring, they're about to catch a huge break in the case. When the thaw comes, you'll find things that you didn't know were there. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, 
But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. More than a month into their investigation of Miriam Illis' murder, Pennsylvania State Police are convinced that her husband, Richard, is hiding something. They start to think that maybe Dr. Richard Illis could be the suspect because of the issues with the divorce and he grew up hunting. He knew how to shoot a gun and he was a heart doctor. He, he knew where the heart was exactly. But Richard seems to have a solid alibi and the only evidence they have is circumstantial. State police decide to scrutinize Richard's alibi and drive the same route themselves that he took the night of the murder. They want to see if Richard would still have enough time to fire that shot at 10.37 p.m. and arrive in Harrisburg by 1 a.m. So they check the weather history for the area at the time. The snowstorm ended at 10 a.m. that day, so there was about a 12-hour window where the plows and the salt truck could do their work on Route 15 before those temperatures started to drop into the teens. So I'm sure there were some slick spots where you still had a glaze on the road, but Route 15 would be much better by the evening. Which means the roads were probably not as bad as Richard claimed. Troopers leave Williamsport and head south. They timed it about just under two hours. They figured out that even if there was um, some leftover residue on the road from a winter storm, it still would not take the three plus hours that Dr. Richard Illis claimed. It leaves a good hour, hour and a half unaccounted for. What was Richard doing in that time? They also question employees at the fast food spot that Richard allegedly visited at 10.30 p.m. And none of the employees can confirm they saw him or his son during that time frame. This made them start to really think that this alibi is flawed. However, they still need more concrete evidence. And when the lab results come back on the hair found in the silencer, it's another letdown. Unfortunately, when they tested that for DNA, it was inconclusive. And there were no fingerprints on the silencer. It was like a primer paint on the silencer itself, which is a little rougher and wouldn't hold fingerprints as easy as a nice smooth surface would. The same goes for the cigarette butt left at the crime scene. Police are slowly running out of leads. 
but the change in seasons is about to give them the break they need. The warm weather literally puts everything in a whole new light. Now that the snow has melted, you'll find things that have been hidden all winter long. Police receive a call from a local fisherman. He says he found something odd in a creek bed off Sulphur Springs Road. He was out minnow fishing when he happened upon a rifle. The rifle he found was a Savage 23D hunting rifle, a very rare weapon. The weapon is roughly a half mile from Route 15 the same route that Richard said he took on the night of the murder. The creek was a little lower. Would have been much higher in the wintertime. That's probably why they found this rifle where they did. They find that it, it's been modified to have a silencer on it. So that was one of the things that stuck out to them. What's more, the rifle still has a clip with a 22 caliber bullet in it. Forensic tests reveal that it's just like the bullet that killed Miriam Millis. They've now found their murder weapon. But there's one problem with the gun. The serial numbers were drilled out. They weren't able to trace exactly who this belonged to at that point in time. Investigators must find a link between Dr. Illis and the vintage rifle. And seven months later, they finally do. A state trooper tracks down one of Richard's relatives, an aunt in a small town 45 miles outside of Philadelphia. He learns from her that Richard's father was a military gunsmith who died in 1998. And she showed them pictures, uh, pictures of Dr. Illis and family members. Then by chance, one of the photos blows the entire murder case wide open. She shows them a photo of Richard's father with a hunting trophy in one hand and a Savage 23D rifle in the other. The same make and model as the murder weapon. They ask where that firearm is now. And it turns out when Richard's father passed away, he left his entire collection of firearms to Richard. Thanks to the springtime thaw, police can now connect this unique weapon to Richard. Police revisit the creek where they found the gun and locate another piece of the puzzle, a pair of large 13-inch sneakers. They were identical, shape-wise, size-wise, tread-wise to the ones behind the house. But more importantly, they find a human hair from one of the shoes, and DNA analysis identifies its source, Richard's five-year-old son. Troopers finally have enough for an arrest. Authorities move in to arrest Dr. Richard Illis for the murder of his wife, Miriam. But will justice be served? In January 1999, while investigating the murder of Miriam Illis, shoe prints in the deep snow led Pennsylvania state troopers to evidence 
of a clever marksman. If it hadn't snowed that day and the storm didn't drop eight inches, police wouldn't have had the evidence that they have. We were lucky that the snow made it easier at that point to, to follow where the, sh the shooter had come from and where he took his shot. But the icy conditions seemed to support the alibi of their main suspect, her husband, renowned heart surgeon, Dr. Richard Ellis. He wanted to use uh, inclement weather and bad roads as, as part of his alibi. And a springtime thaw unearthed the two biggest clues of them all. Investigators find unusually large tennis sneakers, and spring reveals the murder weapon. Finally proving that Dr. Illis was the man behind the trigger. On December 17, 2002, after years of escaping justice and moving clear across the country, Richard is finally arrested for first-degree murder in Washington state. Days later, he's extradited back to Pennsylvania to stand trial. Meanwhile, a search of his personal hard drive turns up a damning discovery. They find a manuscript entitled Heart Shot, Murder of the Doctor's Wife. And in that manuscript, it details the murder of Miriam Ellis. He didn't even change the names. On January 20th, 2004, almost five years to the day, Dr. Richard Illis goes to trial for the murder of Miriam Zambi Illis. He pleads not guilty. Prosecutors lay out their case. They say the doctor was enraged by his wife's efforts to stall the divorce. In the operating room, Richard held all the power, but he could not control Miriam. And to a man like Richard, this simply could not stand. He was not used to Miriam standing up for herself. The second she did, he became very livid. They believe when he was ordered to pay child support and alimony, he devised a complex plan to kill her. And on January 15, 1999, prosecutors say he took one of his father's old rifles and drilled out the serial numbers of the gun so it could not be traced back. He then made a custom silencer for it so no one would hear anything. It's believed also during that time that Richie was with him that he possibly may have drugged him to make him sleep. With his sleeping child in tow, they say Richard drove back to Miriam's later that night and parked a block away. He then slipped his nine and a halves into size 13 sneakers. He knew that it would leave footprints in the snow and he wanted to throw investigators off. Then he snuck through the woods with his 22 caliber rifle to an embankment 73 feet behind the house and waited. At 10.37 p.m., Miriam walked past the kitchen window and into his crosshairs. He fired a single shot, killing her almost instantly. Before fleeing, he planted hairs inside the silencer and staged a cigarette butt in the snow. He then ran back, dropping the silencer along the way, and then jumped in the car and continued toward his destination. He ditches the gun 
and shoes off in a wooded area outside of South Williamsport off of Route 15, and they're buried in the snow. I don't think he thought it would be found for a long time and that that would give him more of a chance to distance himself from the weapon. The mountain of evidence is insurmountable. And on February 20th, 2004, after a five-week trial, the jury finds Dr. Richard Illis guilty of first-degree murder. He's sentenced to life in prison without parole. I was thrilled that he was convicted of murdering her and that he would never be out of a prison. Although justice was finally served, the pain that Richard caused is irreparable. Miriam will always be missed as someone who gave everything she had to raising her son. Every ounce of love that she had in her body went to Richie. And as clever as Dr. Illis thought he was, he was no match for Mother Nature. Weather is a force all on its own that many criminals fail to consider. His omnipotence made him believe he could control this crime scene like he controlled the rest of his life. But it was actually his undoing 